0: Hi, welcome to our service. This is Pastor John. Today we're going to hear from Pastor Zach Ritz of Veritas Church, which shares our building in Warrenton, Virginia. He'll be speaking from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25, and asking the question, what does it mean when the scripture tells us the kingdom of God is near? Are we still waiting for it? Or is it something more profound that can impact our lives right here, right now? Let's join the service and find out.
1: So good to be with you all here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Zach Ritz. I'm the pastor of Veritas Church. Uh, we meet uh, right here in this place at 830 uh, and do so by the generosity and love of Warrington Bible Fellowship as we partner together in the gospel together. What a joy it is uh, with having Pastor John away. Uh, great honor, both to share this pulpit every Sunday, but now to be able to preach uh, again with all of you. Uh, not only uh, am I a pastor, I'm also a father of three, husband to carry, uh, and a football coach this year. Okay, hey, that's, that's, something, that's something new. So I've been uh, coaching football uh, with my two sons, they're both on the same team, which is great, uh, and I'm coaching the defense, so not the head coach, but the uh, assistant coach and we have this year mostly new players we had a game uh yesterday okay and man they really improved they actually scored their first ever touchdown right right so that was like yes okay uh you see we actually have a lot of new players on our team it's it's nine if you if you're thinking about how old are they uh nine you which means nine and under Okay, so, so we're teaching these guys a lot of them first time ever, even with the sport understanding. Uh, so they're really, with any time you're learning something new, there is this sort of grammar stage, right, where we're actually defining what are these words, what are these positions, and what are their responsibilities, right? And so uh, many people have heard of linebackers and quarterbacks and wide receivers and may even know what they do, right, on the field. But not many people ever heard of like guards, like what is a guard? There are two of them. And what do the guards do, all right? And and what is a pulling guard? What does that mean that the guard just pulled? Okay, some of us right now already are starting to tap out with our football knowledge, and we need to be taught what are those words, what are those definitions, what does that mean? Others who have been properly catechized in football, right, you already know what I'm talking about. But for these, it's very new. They're still wondering, okay, when I tackle, is that defense or is that offense? It's like, oh no, tackling, that's defense. Okay, good. Uh, and then on offense, uh, then I block, right? Blocking, I have to block? Yes, block. No tackling, no tackling. No, you're blocking the people that are trying to tackle the, your guy with the ball. Okay, got it. So don't tackle him. No, don't tackle him, that'd be a penalty, right? Uh, And say, okay, and then what are we trying to do with the ball? Uh, We're trying to score a goal. No, not a goal, a touchdown. A touchdown, right. So you got to make sure not only that they know that we're scoring touchdowns, that that is the object of the game, but also they need to know which end zone to go towards. These are the fundamentals. And then we try to put all of it together. Once we teach the words and the understanding of the positions and what their responsibilities are, then it kind of moves into a logic stage of learning in which we're trying to see how does it all fit together and work together. And we actually start to try to run plays like 18 sweep, 16 power, 43 reverse, you know, just try to run some, some plays. But you see, when you build a foundation and a solid foundation, even with football, and I, we try to teach the kids something new. Okay, now, okay, it seem, they seem to be mastering this. Let's now add something new. As soon as you add something new, sometimes for us, we forget everything that we've ever learned about the game because there's something new now. And so then there we go back to teaching the fundamentals again. Sometimes I feel like Vince Lombardi starting from square one. Gentlemen, boys, this is a football now, as we turn our Bibles to Matthew 4, 12 through 25, and invite you to do so, we're going to see this morning in Matthew that Matthew is building on a foundation. So if you've ever read Matthew before, you've got to realize there's Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, and even half of chapter 4 that has already been established, right, thus far. And we don't want to lose that foundation that Matthew has set now that he's starting to talk about something new, which is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, don't lose the foundation. Matthew's already told us in chapter 1 that Jesus is the Messiah. Make no mistakes about it. He is the son of David. He is the king, not only of the Jews, but of the world. And he told us that there would be something like a new exodus that is going to take place. That is that Jesus is almost going to be like a new Moses coming to save his people from the slavery Of their sin. He told us that Jesus is also the Son of God, and that the Father even said so from heaven at his baptism. And we've seen Jesus in chapter 4, if you just look right before we're at there in 12, Jesus withstood the temptations of Satan, and he remained faithful and he was ministered to by angels after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Now see this movement even of Jesus. He was called out of Egypt in chapter two. It says out of Egypt I've called my son after trying to be killed by Herod. That sounds like Moses, doesn't it? Remember when Pharaoh tried to kill Moses as a baby. Now Herod the king tries to kill Jesus as a baby and he's led out of Egypt. Right, And that's in chapter 2, because he had to go to Egypt to flee for safety. Now he comes out of Egypt, just like Israel came out of Egypt. Then where did he go? Well, where did they go after Egypt? When When they came out of Egypt, they had to go through the what? Part through the Red Sea. I know Pastor John's been catechizing you and teaching you. Yeah, you guys got this, right? They come out of Egypt, and then they go through the waters. What does Jesus do? He comes out of Egypt, and then where does Matthew say? Baptized. He goes straight to his baptism. He's trying to show us something here. So then as Jesus passes through the waters as the greater Israel, the faithful son, he then goes into the wilderness. Yeah, of course, just like Israel. But he's going to be a more and greater and more faithful Israel. Let's hope so. More faithful Israel. And he, he, he's there for his temptation for 40 days and 40 nights, just like the 40 years of Israel in the desert. And he's faithful. He's faithful proves to be faithful he passes the test what happens after the wilderness where are they even going to the what promised land well then we ought to expect what to come next and 4 chapter 4 verse 12 we ought to expect jesus coming as john prepared the way did he not john the baptist prepare ye the way of the lord he's made way He's prepared the way. Now King Jesus is about to come out of the wilderness and into the promised land on a conquest like Joshua, ready to make war. Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Jesus has left the wilderness. He's no longer in Judea. He's moved north, and he settled in the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. Why did he do that? I mean, everybody wants to live on a lakeside house, right? Lakeside front on the beach. Anyone, any takers? Lakeside beach? Yeah, okay. He's okay, fully God, but he's also fully man. No, okay, I'm just kidding. Why is he? Why, why does he move here? Why does he go to the Galilee? Why does he do so much ministry? Why are all the- And Jesus is doing all this ministry in Galilee. He's moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, this this sea town. What is he doing there? Why did he go there? You know, some scholars say, some of the more liberal of scholars, say that it's because he was afraid. says he withdrew, right? He heard that John was arrested, and then he withdrew. That's a withdrawal from, right, from where he was living, and then he went to Galilee. Certainly, he must have been afraid that he would too also get arrested. Anyone here want to say that Jesus was afraid? Okay, right. Inconceivable. And I think you know what that word means. Inconceivable. No, he's not afraid. Well, then why? Why did he go? Exactly right. And that's what comes next. Because the work of John was finished. John the Baptist, he was arrested. His, his work is done. He came as a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. The way has been prepared. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, here he comes with his kingdom. Matthew tells us this was the chosen location always. It's been the plan even since the days of Isaiah. Matthew 4, 14 through 16. He moved to this location so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's interesting, that phrase, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was called that in Isaiah's day and was called that 700 years later, even still in the day of Christ. Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Because here in Galilee, here in this location, we had the most condensed area of multiple different nationalities. So they're all Gentiles. They're not Jewish, right? Though there are some Jews there. We'll meet them here in just a second. There are some Jews there. There's a synagogue there, yes. But in this area in Galilee is where all these nations are coming, all nationalities, all different types and kinds of of Gentiles. So some even continue on and they say, well, the reason he moved maybe to that place was because he so much wanted His church and his establishment of his people to be so diverse. Maybe he's looking for ethnic diversity. Is that what he's doing? Of course God loves diversity. He's the one who created it. But there's a reason why he's coming here. It's because all these people, though very different ethnically, all have the same need. All of them have something in common. What is it? Well, let's keep reading. All these people are dwelling in darkness. They've not known the truth. If they're from other nationalities and they're not from uh, the the Jewish nation, they don't know Yahweh. They don't know the one true God. They don't know his law. They They don't know any of the oracles. They don't know the Old Testament. They don't know God. They're living and dwelling in darkness, worshiping false gods. They do not have the light of truth. And year after year, for at least 700 years since Isaiah, they live and they die in darkness. They live separated from God and they die separated from God for generations and generations and generations. Their children and their children's children live and they die and they go to hell. This is a place of deep darkness. People dwelling in darkness, though, Isaiah says, and what Matthew says, have now seen a great light. I would love for that L to be capitalized. (laughs) Because what is the light that has come now into the darkness but Jesus himself? For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. On them a light has dawned like a beautiful sunrise. This is the context of Jesus' ministry. A land of sin, death, and darkness. This is, I believe, a microcosm. Why here? It's a microcosm. Of all nations and nationalities, a smaller example of, of what is the greater reality of the entire world, both Jewish nation. Certainly the Jews aren't in darkness. Certainly the Jews aren't in sin and death. All nations... And all the world, all have this same need. The entire world is dwelling in sin. The entire world is dwelling in darkness. The entire world is dwelling in the shadow of death. What do they need? Those dwelling in death and darkness, the same thing that the world needs the world needs light. The kingdom of darkness needs to be conquered by a king whose kingdom will bring salvation to the lost and light. To the darkness and new life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And a king and kingdom is exactly what they are getting. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus, the king, the son of David, the Messiah, the son of God, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it which, it doesn't say for the kingdom of heaven is on the line right repent because the kingdom of heaven's on the line if you don't repent no kingdom if you do repent then yes kingdom is it on the line what does that phrase mean at hand right at hand the kingdom of heaven is at hand if we're talking about time it means it's now it's imminent it is at hand repent now for the kingdom is now If you reject it, it doesn't mean it has to go away. I used to believe that. That they say, no, we don't want it, so you're going to have to wait 2,000 plus years to bring it. They're not going to stop. No, the king has come. The king is there. His kingdom with him. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is imminent. It is true if you reject it that you will be lost in darkness and in death for all eternity. But it is here and it has come to stay kingdom of God is at hand. If we're talking about time, it means now, imminent. If we're talking about, we usually say on hand, but at hand, it means it's close. There, there's a lot of uh, mothers and grandmothers here that I'm sure in your purse, you have a lot of on hand, right? It's clo- You want it nearby. You want it close just in case you might need it, right? Have you ever seen my mom's purse? Man, that thing just grew and grew and grew and grew over the years, right? snacks, all sorts of things. Just in case the pastor went long, you know, just a little sustenance to get us through. Prepared for anything. It was always on hand. Something always had something on hand and ready. Well, well, the kingdom of God here in this word, talking about the kingdom of heaven has come to earth and it is now and it is near. It is right here in front of your face in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, thy kingdom come. Imagine being those people. Oh, thy kingdom come. Oh, thy kingdom come. Imagine Jesus maybe on the walk from uh, Nazareth, his old house, to Capernaum. Imagine if he would pray the Lord's Prayer. My Father, as he gets his stuff and he heads to Capernaum. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You be glorified. You be set apart. Your name be hallowed. May thy kingdom come. He's about to go into the darkness. He knows where he's going. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Here on earth in Galilee as is in heaven. Only give me this day my daily bread. And for, well, I guess he has no trespasses that are in need of forgiveness. That was just proven in the same chapter a few verses before. Oh, but he does pray. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, thy kingdom come. Let's see if thy will will be done. Matthew 4 18 through 22. Now, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Why were they doing that? For they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. By the sea, they live off of the sea, casting their nets into the sea. Jesus says to them, hey, when you're done doing that, maybe think about following me. Hey, if you're not too busy, maybe you could be my disciples. Hey, what you guys doing there? Fishing? No. We do relational evangelism. Jesus is the king. When Jesus calls his disciples, what does Jesus say? Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Did they understand the king's invitation? Do kings make invitations? The kings command, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what do they do? Immediately, they left their nets. They had just cast them in the water. They didn't even draw them in. Immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They followed the king. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. So they've finished fishing, and now they're mending their nets. This process of mending their nets is just fixing them, repairing them. What good is a net that is broken and full of holes to a fisherman? So it's important that if the nets are in need of mending, that they mend their nets. I love what R.C. Sproul said about this. He said, if we are to be fishers of men, we need to make sure that we mend our nets. He said, you better watch your life and your doctrine closely and see if there are any holes in it. Holes in our witness as we are witnessing to the world. If we're trying to teach the world, hey, you should follow Jesus, but we ourselves have holes in the nets, and we are not following him, then we are not catching anything. We should not expect to catch any. If, uh, if our theology, not only do we want our lives to preach the gospel, but we also want to be able to actually preach the gospel and apologetically argue for the faith, why should I follow Jesus? Matter of fact, if we're talking about a Christless and godless generation, such as mine, and such is one coming. Then we might even need to begin with a grammar stage. Who is Jesus? What is the cross? Why did he need to die? What is sin? What is grace? Who is God? Who am I? How many people here say, my nets need some mending? My life and my doctrine both. That's why I went up front this morning for catechism. As they're mending their nets, Jesus called them. Again, he called them. And what did they do in verse 22? Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Oh, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Next slide. Ah! Thy will be done. Next slide. We should expect then for the next slide to be, let's see, ah, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's exactly what we find next. Matthew four twenty three through 25, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee. All of that land of darkness, all of those people dwelling in death, there wasn't a single place, a single square inch of that darkness that Jesus did not go and bring his kingdom of light. Jesus is not afraid of anything. He is a conquering king. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the good news of the kingdom The king and his kingdom have come. The light of his glory has shone forth. Not only was he preaching, but as you might expect, not only was Jesus fully man, but Jesus is also fully God. God comes to earth. It is like heaven meeting earth. This will one day happen when Jesus returns and when we meet him in the air. What happens? There is an ultimate and a glorious healing that takes place in the presence of God. He began healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame, hallowed be thy name, spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those who were oppressed by demons even. All darkness had to flee in the presence of Jesus. Demons be gone. Those having seizures, paralytics, he healed them. And great crowds now followed him. From Galilee, the place of the Gentiles, from the Decapolis, Deca 10, polis means city, the 10 cities, which is also primarily Gentile, and from Jerusalem, Jewish capital of, and Judea, also Jewish, and from beyond the Jordan. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The people dwelling in darkness indeed have seen a great light. John says in his gospel that the people loved the darkness rather than the light because they didn't want their deeds to be exposed as the light shined forth. However, John also says that the darkness did not win. The light shone forth in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. So let's think about what is happening here in this passage, and then also think about how might that apply to us. What is going on here? What is God doing? And then even what might God want to do here with us this morning? So what's happening here? This is not only the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry, though if you look up in your Bibles, you probably will see a title somewhere that says, the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. This here is the beginning of a whole new creation. This is a new Genesis. Let me prove that to you. Just as God did in the beginning in Genesis 1. Our God is once again waging war on the chaos of darkness. When the earth, you remember, was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And you remember the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what did God do? God spoke. And as the word of God went forth... The formless was given form. The void was filled with living creatures. And the darkness was lit up like the 4th of July as God first hung the stars in the heavens. Which is exactly what's happening here for these Galileans dwelling in darkness. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And he has been sent forth by God into the world, into darkness. And the spirit of the Lord was hovering... Over the waters of his baptism in chapter 3. And our king, who has just defeated the prince of darkness, is now waging war on darkness itself. The kingdom of light is moving in. This is a new Genesis, a new beginning. Oh, let there be light. This is not only for the Galileans. This was for all the world. Again, just a microcosm, truth for the whole world, what they needed. Not only for them then, but also for us now. We all needed and do even need today a new beginning. Our God is a God of new beginnings, even day by day. Have you ever thought about that? His mercies are new every morning. Both a death when we go to sleep and a resurrection in the morning. It's a new day. Uh, there's also true of weeks every week's a new week weeks do not go on for eternity praise the lord for that especially if you have a long week right or bad week this week doesn't go on forever nope sunday's coming there's a new start there's a new creation week every week and it should start here in the garden with god as we worship him confess our sins to him believe again on the lord jesus christ knowing that our sins are forgiven in him, and then to be sent out by him into the world to do his will, to do his work, to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth with his glory. Every week's a new week. Also, even if you think about the calendar year itself with the coming of our king, the whole thing started over again back to zero, did it not? (laughs) Today is the day 2022 in the day of our Lord. A new day, a new week, even a new calendar year reminds us of the greater reality of new life in Jesus. Jesus calls us from darkness to light and from death to new life. But when Jesus calls us to death, it is also for the purpose of a resurrection for new life, And if we want new life, if we want that resurrection, a new start in Jesus, there must first be a death. You get no resurrection without first having a death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. There's a quote there. Next slide. Hit the next slide. (laughs) Bam. Everybody clap. If you don't clap, you got to do it next week. Okay. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr. Little did he know, even as he writes this, which is true, he says, of all discipleship, when you want to follow Jesus, when Jesus calls a man, he must come and die. But even Dietrich Bonhoeffer, In Nazi Germany, he was a German theologian, professor, and pastor. He would eventually uh, uh, become a spy and try to find Hitler for an assassination. And he was caught and he was martyred. Hmm. But he says, look, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. Uh, If you've not read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would encourage you to do so. If you haven't read it in a while, maybe pick it up, dust it off. In our day, I think it's good to get back to the basics of discipleship. He says here on page 44, I'll read you the greater quote. I think there's, there's more there that would be appreciative. Before I close this out, if I go long, just start reaching in your purse and get those snacks. It says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience... Is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. No. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ, here it is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work, fishermen, to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's, speaking of Martin Luther, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ. The death of the old man at his call. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a football this is discipleship. This is square one and a part of the core fundamentals of our faith. When Jesus Christ calls us, and every time he does call us, in all of his word as he calls us, every time it is a call to come and die to ourself, to our pride, to our will. It's a daily dying As we give him our lives in unwavering loyalty, all for his glory. For God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, indeed, a new week, a new beginning, a new start. And we come here this morning, maybe some of us for the first time ever, and we surrender our lives to you. Lord, we come, and you do bid us come and die, that we might be united with you in your death and also be united with you in your resurrection, that our sins might be forgiven and atoned for and that we might be raised to newness of life so that we might go forth in light and in service to you, our King. Lord Jesus, we pray Even yet again this week, we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for your compassion and your steadfast love towards us that even yet again you bid us come this morning as we lay down our lives all for your glory. May thy kingdom come, thy will be done here in Warrington as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, thank you all so much uh, um, for having me this morning. You guys are always a great host. Uh, Well, literally every week you're hosting us in your building, so thank you for that and for all the trials and tribulations that come along with it. Uh, So thank you so much. Also, um, thank you to all joining us online. Um, So great to have you as well and for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to send you off now with this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him, would you all like to stand for the benediction? And now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You are sent.
0: Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrenton, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.